0: Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered,
1: I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry
0: land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and
1: throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you.
0: Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights.
1: The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. God.
1: The kids are invited to Kids Church with Emily this morning. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. This story, like most of the good stories in the Bible, the great stories, begins with the word of the Lord. It's the word that creates. It is the word that sustains. It is the word that becomes flesh. It is the word that moves into the neighborhood. It is the word that redeems. It is the word that gives life. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. A common beginning also for prophetic books. If you're a young Hebrew listening to the story, you'd go, I know where this goes. And then it completely doesn't go where you know that this goes. For this sermon series, what I'm going to try and do is walk through the book of Jonah um, without. The, the aid of what I usually have with all the slides and quotes and graphics and everything. There'll be some, but the main point is is that we're going to try and listen. Um, and so you have two options. One, uh, follow along in a Bible. I always, I always tell people, um, when you hear Scripture read from Brian and Carla and, and Jude and others, it's wise to listen because so often we don't hear Scripture read to us. And I joke, if you need to read it, Read it during the sermon, because that'll be a better use of your time than than not hearing it when it 's read during part of worship that that communal aspect of hearing the word together so for this sermon series, you have two sort of different options: one is to to settle in and to hear the story as if if for the first time and J- Jonah has this the second option is to follow along in the bible so um, uh, so those are your options but um uh, Jonah, more than any of the books, there's this phrase, and I found out who it came from this week because it was in the email, but I I forgot to write it down. I I heard it first from N.T. Wright, which is um, that familiarity doesn't breed contempt. Familiarity breeds infamiliarity, and it's infamiliarity that breeds contempt. So the pastor's preaching on the book of Jonah, the story about the whale, which it is barely a story about the whale. Familiarity isn't what breeds contempt. It's infamiliarity. To hear the story again, and, and this is, I think, all of us. The first time I, I went to preach Jonah, Jonah's one of the books I preached more than probably any other book other than Ruth, I think, um, in the Bible, and then various gospel selections. But um, um, I was like, I'm going to preach on the book with the big whale. <laughs> um. And it's over time, listening to it again and again, coming back to study on it, that I find again that it's barely a book about that. It's a book about the God who is compassionate beyond what we know. It's a book about how God redeems. It's a book about what it's like to be God's people. To find yourself frustrated by a God who's kinder than you are. It's a book about fear, it's a book about being cast out, it's a book about redemption. And most of all, um, literature, often the first character you meet is the main character, not always true. It's a book about God. We have the title of the book, the book of Jonah, but it is God who acts and guides the story, story along more than anyone else. We have two other books in the Old Testament that fit this sort of pattern, um, but they're so much different. Is Ruth um, really only mentions God at the beginning and then uh, causing a pregnancy towards the end? But but it's Ruth who's the actor who brings about sort of this this re- redemption of this community in, in Bethlehem, um, and then Esther, which has no reference to God at all. But this one, which gets blumped with that often, is very much about a God who acts. A God who does things. And so it begins with the word of the Lord, comes to the son of Jonah. Uh, Jonah, the son of Amittai. One of the the things um, that uh, is a commentary for, for the start of this series is the quote on the back of the bulletin that I think to keep in mind as we go through it is You cannot conceive, nor can I, of the appalling strangeness of the mercy of God. You cannot conceive, nor can I, of the appalling strangeness of the mercy of God. This is Jonah's story. You could imagine Jonah coming back from this saying, "You can't." it's an open-ended ending, which is hard um, for us as readers because we don't know what happens. But, but certainly a listener could come back and say, you and I cannot conceive of this God we think we control, or we think we know how to get in with, but of the appalling strangeness of the mercy of this God. And so that's that's where the story starts with this word, with this main character, and it frees us from the familiarity that breeds contempt. That it came to Jonah is, is Jonah is this word that means peace in Hebrew. It comes to peace. Peace. Now, as we follow Jonah, we'll find that he doesn't really want a lot to do with peace. Now, Jonah, son of Amittai, is also another reference to a prophet, and so it seems like the the person who distilled this story for us is, is placing Jonah in the line with another prophet in the Bible who we don't know as much about. And so Jonah is this prophet whom the word comes to. But Jonah also has this notion of being a dove, And a dove is the language for what God calls um, his love. It is his gentle dove. In the Song of Songs, we see the lovers call each other doves, too. And it's one of the the points, I think, most importantly, I'm going to say that seven times, one of the most important points of eight is that um, Jonah is Israel. And if Jonah is Israel, then it's us as well. And so often, um, this is a, there's a commentary who guides my study every time I come to Jonah. I tried a new one this time, and then I was like, this is pretty good. And then I went back to the one I always use, and I was like, uh, I don't even know why I tried a new one, by Philip Carey. Um, so if you want to know more about what I'm saying or see the, the logical sort of part of this argument, I can lend you that commentary when this is done. Um, because lots of what I've gained in insight from this comes from him, so I don't want to pass it off as my own. Um, but if it's Jonah, then it's about us as well. And, and one of the things I've learned from studying with that man through his books is this idea that we get this idea, don't be like Peter. The moral of Jonah, when he takes his eyes off Jesus and sinks, the moral of Jonah is don't be like Jonah, That's exactly not the point. The point of of Peter stumbling or all these characters who fail along the way is that's you. They're not object lessons for you to say, "Um, I won't be like them. It's the way for the people of God who are not God to find themselves in the story caught up with God. And that's how we need to listen to this book. There's going to be multiple points where you might say, well, I would never do what Jonah did. And the fact is, you probably would. And even if you wouldn't, you're part of a people called the church, which was previously um, called only Israel, um, that always does stuff like that. So if you're the one good one out of 100, congratulations, but you're still stuck with the 99 of us who aren't that great. Um, And so when it's the people of God, that's what we get. And so it comes, though, to this one whom God loves, which is very interesting because the way that God protects him and guides him throughout this story is the way you would expect one who loves to do so. Jonah's no to God is overcome by God's yes to Jonah. Jonah continually tries to not do what God asks of him, and yet God continually comes to the rescue of Jonah. And so the word of the Lord comes to son of Jonah, Amittai, and he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. This is a tough challenge. First off, most of the other prophets who curse nations don't go to the nations that they curse. It's a quick way to die. Um, Here I come from the Lord whom you don't recognize, and I'm here to tell you that you will fall. Doesn't work that way. Um, But more so, Nineveh is the capital of of Assyria, which has sort of absorbed the whole nation of Israel and destroyed more than half of it. Jonah's called to go to that city and proclaim that, um, preach against it because God's wickedness, because its wickedness has come before me. Now, many commentators point this out. This is a bit like if you're a a 1930s Jew who's made it to New York, and the word of the Lord comes and says, go back to Berlin and proclaim that violence has come before the Lord. Why would you run away? Several options. Jonah has a different one we get at the end of the story, too. Um, But the challenge is that that is a big call. Go to the enemy that seeks to destroy and has consumed most of your people, has ridden you out of the land, and preach to them and somehow expect to survive. Go to that place. The, the, the other observation here is it's the wickedness and, and violence is kind of the same term. One of the things that that struck me so much as I found myself called into what some people would call uh, Christian pacifism, I prefer to call living peaceably as a Christian um, or living nonviolently, is how much God is frustrated by violence. From Cain and Abel, the blood crying out of the ground, to when he uses Israel as an agent of judgment against other violence, Noah's flood predominantly comed, uh, comes from the violence that. that that the people are doing at this time. And, and what the word for wickedness, it depends on your translation, some of you might have violence, is God sees violence come before his face, and he doesn't bless that. You preach against that. Um, it was eye-opening for me because I'd never noticed that, I think, of how much when violence happens, it grieves God. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah here um, goes the opposite direction of where he's supposed to go. Um, So he goes down and boards a ship going towards more Spain, if you can think of that, when the direction he's supposed to go is more towards uh, Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, And actually, it's a much greater distance. The direction he tries to go than the distance he was asked to go. Arise and go to the city. Now, we talked already about why would Jonah do such a thing. And there's a second thing about Jonah knows. We we can see this clearly. One, he's a prophet. But two, even the language he uses in the scripture is he knows he can't flee the Lord. But he does know he can get away from the sights of his revelation. He can get away from synagogue, he can get away from these places. It's almost like he has a hope is that if I get further away from uh, the concert or yesterday my neighbors were playing music too loud, I won't hear it as much as I hear it when I'm near to it. His plan is to move away from that. And what's interesting is, is, is he goes the opposite direction. This is the first moment where he goes down. We're going to follow Jonah's descent downward all the way to the end of chapter 2, funny enough. But Jonah keeps, as he goes away from the Lord, he goes down to Jabba. He goes down into the ship. Inevitably, in chapter 2, he goes down deep into the sea. Jonah's journey is a downward journey for most of the first half of the book. And he boards the ship and pays the fare. Now, this is, um, I think, an amazing thing is that we to love our technological means to save ourselves, to pay to get on a ship, one, to have money. I can trust in my money, and my money can buy me away, away from my problems. And one of the greatest technology at this time is the ability to sail on the sea. He goes and finds a group of people with his money and his hope and technology to get away from the problem he has. It's Philip Carey who points out that this is the most terrifying thing for Western people, that our technology and our money will come to fail us. And this is exactly what happens to Jonah. The ship is no match for God. And so when he gets on the ship, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm Rose against it, that the ship threatened to break apart. the The Hebrew is um, God hurls the storm, almost like a spear. It brings a storm upon this little ship, and it's we, we finished Ecclesiastes with that like breaking apart notion that that creation falling apart for these sailors and for Jonah. The language used here is apocalyptic of sort. Everything is failing and falling apart. All the frailers were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw cargo in the sea to lighten the ship. This is amazing because they cry out to their own God, their own Elohim. We're going to trace, as we get, go through the book of Jonah, Elohim, the generic word for God, which Israelites would use for other people's gods, occurs, I think, 20 times in the book. The Lord, of course, 19, which is Israel's specific name for God. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And Most of the time in most English Bibles, as I've said before, Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized, is God's specific name, revealed to Moses, revealed to the Israelites. It is the unique name of God which evidently seems to sort of mean, I will be who I will be, which is exactly what God is in the book of Jonah. God will be who will he will be. And that terrifies us. God refuses us to give us the security even in his own name. So it's the Lord who throws out on the ship, but the sailors cry out each to their own Elohim. In their own wisdom, they also try to lighten the ship which, when you think of a great storm and mightiness, almost makes it like a paper airplane to be tossed around as well. But here, they empty their treasures, their wares, the things that they're sailing with. The sailors, throughout this first chapter, act piously when Israel, the person of God, the church, goes to sleep. It's a warning for us, but also a notion of what we do. Jonah had been gone below the deck, down, where he lay day down, and he fell into a deep sleep. Jonah goes to a place where he longs for death, almost. He goes down into the ship. He goes down further, and he goes to a deep sleep. Jonah goes further and further down into the abyss. It'll get deeper soon. Then the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God, your Elohim. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. The captain, the the rabbis, their notion of the, the people on the ship is 70 of them, or some number around 70, which represents all the Gentiles. The captain represents the head of the people who are not Jewish, who rouses Israel to pray, who rouses the church to pray. Now, I spent a long time thinking about this, and I couldn't come up with a specific instance in my life, but there are times in my life where people have come to me and said, you're the Christian. Why don't you pray here? Why don't you lament here? Why don't you call forth what is joy or goodness in this place? So often, we forget the task upon which God has laid us. The church, Israel, Matt Sheddon, goes down to sleep, and it takes someone else to come and say, why don't you cry out to your God? Because perhaps he will take notice and save us. And it's in those moments of suffering, too, it's that Suffering brings this honesty about for people. And to be a Christian who's around people who suffers is to constantly have the invitation to confess. And It's exactly what Jonah finally does when he speaks. He confesses who his God is, perhaps in the weakest way possible. Um, so the sailor, the captain comes and calls from, the sailors call out to each other, come let us cast out to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. The sailors again say, if we can't figure this out, let's take some magic or the divine hand, let's do the Vegas thing and say, I saw 27 on my trip to the casino 27 times, putting all my money on 27. The sailor's solution to this problem is if there's something divine at work, it will show us who's at fault, and if there's not something divine at work, at least we'll have somebody to blame, Um, uh, which is wise. I mean, if you think about, if you're stuck in this situation, take your chances, right? Um, And little do they know it's the word of the Lord that came to Jonah, and it's this one who guides the lot to fall on Jonah. Now, you can think, too, of—there's of, an instance in the Old Testament of, of the goat and the scapegoat that it's not clear why one is saved and why one is cast out into the wilderness. Jonah, too, is going to end up cast out because the lot fell on him. Christ, too, who takes on the sign of Jonah—we'll get to that a little bit at the end—is cast out um, on the cross. The one, he's both the one who goes into the temple or is sacrificed and goes into the temple, and he's both the one cast out into the wilderness. But divine election is weird. And there is no answer for it. Neither you nor I can understand the mercy of God. And you watch it throughout the Old Testament. Why this twin and not that twin? Why this son and not that son? Why these people and not those people? And God even names Israel to such just to remind them, for the church as well, it's not because you were good looking. It's not because you were the greatest. The vine election works in odd ways. Here, Jonah becomes the elect again, as Israel is supposed to be for the world, for the sake of blessing and saving the world. That is one of the great questions of Jonah, is what is going to be Israel's task in the blessing and saving of the world that they've been called to? So the sailors cast lots and they fall on the Jonah and they sell, come to him and they say, tell us who is responsible for making this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? They interrogate Jonah. Um, they, they work together. The, what's interesting at the beginning of this section, the sailors said to each other, there's neighbors, the word there, uh, neighbors, the people whom you find yourself in the boat of life, which I think is a powerful testimony here is is Jonah's neighbor isn't the people he picked, it's the people he finds himself in the boat tossed about the seas of life. And they ask him who is responsible, what type of work, Uh, give us your biography. How are we caught in this mess? The sailors trust in the throwing of lots. And he answers them, which you can hear both as a bold confession of faith or the weakest answer ever. Um, The the Bible doesn't tell us which one. Um, He answered, I'm a Hebrew, which is not an Israelite, a sort of vague name. And I worship the Lord, so specific name. I worship the Lord, not the Elohim, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. As we confess every Sunday, I believe in God, the creator, the almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, that he confesses who God is i am a Hebrew, and I worship this specific God, the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land, the God who raised, resides in heaven, and who made the sea and the dry land. He gives them uh, a small post example. Um, If if Jonah is an evangelist, he's the worst evangelist ever, Um, but also the most successful. This is the funny part about the story, is is Jonah is the most successful prophet we have because everything he does comes true, and yet he hates it all. Israel and the church. (laughs) Um, The phrase that we'll come back to over and over again comes from the theologian Ephraim Radner: The church is the repentant missionary for God. We are the repentant missionary. Um, we repent, and that puts us in our missionary posture. It's almost like a, for Jonah, too. His own weakness is what makes him believable. Um, his own uh, confession that he's running away from this God, which we get to next, makes them go, oh, that means it's real. So what happens next is the ta- the ter- they're terrified. Again, the, the sailors are terrified. They have fear. We'll, we'll get back to that at the end. But they say, what have you done? Jonah knows the word of the Lord and has gone to sleep. And the 70 nations who cry out to their Elohim look at this one who knows that one and says, What have you done? What were you thinking? Jonah doesn't brag. Jonah merely confesses a weak answer or a strong answer to the question they ask him. But it instantly becomes credible to these people. The narrator tells us that earlier he told them he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the seam call down for us? The sailors don't come up with the idea of tossing Jonah to the sea. In their own effort to seek peace, they want to know, is there a sacrifice? Is there something we can do so that we can make the seam call down for us? Jonah Um, perhaps still seeking his own death on sort of what might be his suicide mission is pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah knows in his fleeing that this has called the great storm. Now the sailors, again, more pious than Jonah, could say, uh, That sounds great. Um, You would think those who worship the Elohim in Israel at this time, Israel at many times, the church at many times, views the pagans and Gentiles as if they don't know anything. But these pagans, Gentiles, non-Israelites go, that's not a great idea because we do not want the blame for that. And so what they do is they try, but the men instead did their best to row back to land, but they could not because the sea grew wilder and wilder. The, the Hebrew is they dug in, which means that they're like trying to use the sea like land to get back to land. They want to res- but, but what's interesting is, is that they're trying to restore him to the place where he started. You were supposed to rise and go to this other city. Let's get back to land so you can do the mission you're running away from. Jonah's not even willing to do that. How does this happen? Then they cried to the Lord. Previously, they had cried to their gods, their Elohim, whatever they could do to save themselves and cast off that which was weighing them down. And now they cry to the specific name of the Lord. I will be who I will be. I am who I am. Jonah, unwittingly, has converted a whole host of pagan sailors to the worship of this one. We'll see that more later. They cried to the Lord, Please, Lord, again, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you have pleased. They're able also to confess in this God that this God does as he, as God, pleases. The Stalers are conceiving of this. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. In becoming the cast-out one, which Christ does for us, and which Jonah does for these sailors, peace comes. The sea is calmed. And what... what It's hard to read in how much can this conversion go with Jonah's weak confession and Jonah's short words. What they do is what every Israelite would do: they offer a sacrifice to God. They make vows to Him. That they find themselves um, caught in this way, they're ones who have come to the Lord they ones, despite all of Jonah's best efforts not to bring the word of the Lord to people, he has brought the word of the Lord to these men. And it's in his casting out that that has come true. Great missionary success story that Jonah is. So does the trial for us, too. The word of the Lord has come to us. We say it every Sunday. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. It is to us who prefer, oftentimes, to go to sleep, to go down into the ship, that we are roused by the world around us to confess to this God, to confess the name of the one who made us. And in that, like Israel, like Jonah, like the church, we find ourselves surprised by God who is calling into his kingdom. But, What I love about what Jonah does is he does the only thing that he can do. He doesn't start a ministry to send boxes to shipwrecked sailors. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But he brings the name of the Lord to that place. He brings the recognition of that one. So often as Christians, myself included, We're tempted to do the things that make us credible to the world. And so often we ignore what our prayer might be, what it might mean to confess that this is who God is, what it might mean to stay and stay in that place. Failure as we may be because Jonah is as well, but that is the unique call that we have because we're the only ones who can do that. We can cry out to our gods. We can trust in technology and money. We can lighten our load so that we might be able to get back to dry land. We can dig in to avoid what we've been called to as well. But we can confess that name, and it is that name that makes all the difference. So Jesus, this is a, something we'll come back to often, says, He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but will none will be given except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. So as Jonah, was in the, the, uh, was Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus identifies with this sign. Jesus, too, is the one also cast out, as Jonah is cast out. Jesus, three or four times throughout the Gospels, identifies himself specifically with the sign of Jonah, something we skip over often. And the men of Nineveh, where this story um, ends, uh, um, will stand up at the judgment and, uh, with this generation and condemn it, for they repented, which is where the story is going, at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Christ becomes the faithful Jonah on our behalf. He's the one who confesses in that place. This, this image, um, which I found on a fellow friend's blog, which is available on the card for the back um, this Sunday, captures, I think, what it means to be swallowed in with the whale, where we pick up this story next week. That, that Christ descends to the heart of the earth as Jonah, in this next section, is going to descend to the depths of the sea. This is Jonah who doesn't do what he's commanded to, that Christ aligns himself as the faithful one of Israel. And so as he spends three days in the grave and comes back to life, and this is why the, the next the generation of Nineveh might complain um, or might judge us is because we, if you believe Jesus when he preached, that was a select few. We have the benefit of seeing him risen from the heart of the earth. Jonah went to the belly of the whale, but he never tells them that story. That might make him credible, but he never tells Nineveh that story. But the sailors believe before he's even tossed to the sea, they know nothing about the fish. And so it is for us to find ourselves drawn into the sign of Jonah, not just this book, but the one who aligns himself with it, who is our God. Now the Lord prepared a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Let us pray. God, you have given us this odd and wonderful book that is the book of Jonah. Through it, may we learn how merciful you are, how those whom you love, Jonah, Israel, the church, can both fail along the way, but you appoint a fish to rescue them. You bring us back to the place where we began. And no matter what we think our success might mean or be in the world, it rests in your hands. We, like Jonah, witness to what we've been called to on the ship. But the salvation route there is a salvation wrought by you. It comes from your hands, not from our excess, charisma, beauty, strength, or money. So may we hear in this book how we are your faithful one as well. And despite our efforts to run away, your creative work goes forth. And finally, may we hear and learn more about what it means that Christ himself identifies himself as the sign of this one. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen what
0: wondrous love